0: starting a new uh, series today uh, from a book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel. So we're going to be in here for several weeks. This is a fantastic, um, exciting, and complicated book in some ways. This book, you talk about young people, you want to see a book that inspires young people and challenges young people, it's the book of Daniel. I am going to try and do it in as simple a way as possible, but it has a major, major theme to it, and that is that God is in control. He's in control. And the book addresses a a period of time, but it addresses all time. It has a grand scope and vision of the future way beyond its time, even beyond our time. And I like to call it a a book about future hope, but found in the past. One thing has been said about history is that we never learn from history. And you're going to see things in the book of Daniel that are like, man, that's... That's deja vu all over again. We're living that today. How come we don't learn? OK, you're going to see things like that. The book is um, it's bizarre in the sense that it has narrative in like the first six chapters. So narrative is really easy. You see a story. You can follow a story. You can follow the people in the story. But then it dives into a whole different type of literature, and it's into like an apocalypse. Type literature, almost a bit like Revelation in the New Testament. In fact, Revelation copies things from Daniel and airlifts certain phrases from Daniel and certain concepts from Daniel, drops it in to to the book of Revelation. So it's bizarre, this book of Daniel, and it is uh, the most criticized book in the Old Testament, along with, I would say, the book of Genesis. I mean, the scholars ripped this book apart right from the very first verse. They debate about who wrote it. They debate about what language it's in. They debate about when it was written. They say, no, it couldn't have been written when it purports to have been written. It's impossible. They say the author, there's more than one author. It's two different structures. They criticize this book like you would not believe. There is so much written about this book that criticizes it, and that's because of what it says. It has something to say about the future that is not particularly pleasant, but it also has a great hope that's portrayed in the future. There are things in the book of Daniel about events that took place in the second century that are exact, exact to minute detail. And so the People who criticize the book say, no, it's impossible. It must have been written the 2nd, 3rd century, or 2nd uh, century or 1st century B.C. It could not have been written in uh, what it purports to be, which is like five, 30, five, 500 years before Jesus was born, 5, 550 years before. They say it's impossible, 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 because the details of certain events that took place in the 2nd century B.C., which we'll see in the book, are too detailed. It's too accurate. It's impossible. I have stood in front of uh, manuscripts of the book of Daniel um, that were found in Qumran in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which, which predate Jesus by about 200 years. And you, almost the whole book of Daniel is there in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It, I mean, it's, it's a sensational book, really. But very, very inspiring, especially for young people. So I really hope that they get something out of it as well. But got this major theme that God is in control, part one. We're going to talk about Babylon and welcome to Babylon. So, it's the most criticized book in the Old Testament. And the, the context, which you'll see right away, is the exiles from the, the most catastrophic event in the Old Testament the uh, invasion of Jerusalem and the sacking and burning of the city and the temple and the bringing of the exiles into Babylon. This is the single most catastrophic event, I guess, apart from the flood, obviously. But in terms of Jerusalem and her history, uh, this is it. And uh, this event is the context of what we're going to check out in the book of Daniel. Um, So you're, you're, you're thinking about those people who were brought over to Babylon. You say, what's the invasion of Jerusalem all about? Well, a lot of things. So the city of Jerusalem, when you inspect uh, the pages of the Old Testament and even the history books, I'll show you something in a minute from the Babylonians themselves. Jerusalem, the city, uh, was invaded and besieged really in three waves of attack starting in 605 B.C. So brief history lesson, uh, 10th century B.C., Israel goes through a civil war, uh, really because of the sins of Solomon. And uh, you have a split. You have the Israel to the north. You have Judah to the south. And uh, you can read about it in, in the books of Kings and Chronicles. I call it the Battle of the Boams. You know Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all these Boams, and you, you you'll see it very clearly there. You have a civil war tenth century BC. In uh, the eighth century BC, the Assyrians would come and take the north and invade the north and invade Israel. Israel would never be the same. Again, after that, in the south, what they called Judah, You had the Babylonians who would come, and this is what we're looking at when we look at the book of Daniel. So there's three waves of attack, 605, 597, and 587. And you get this, especially that one in 605, from the Bible. Uh, The other two are mentioned quite heavily uh, in the history books. When you think about a siege like this, this was over a long period of time, folks the way that the Babylonians did this eventually they surrounded the city they built walls around the city to keep the people trapped inside and they starved them so they couldn't get food in or out they weakened the people they starved the people and then they invaded finally the city uh, they killed many and they took many survivors into exile hundreds of miles away into Babylon the city was sacked and burned the temple was destroyed. It was rebuilt later in the fifth century by uh, Ezra or Zerubbabel, and Ezra was one of the people around there, and all of that. But you're talking about a catastrophe, folks, and this is the context of it. Uh, the Babylonians had a habit of chronicling their own conquests, and we actually have what they call the Babylonian Chronicles, which I put on your screen there. That little, that little uh, clay tablet is only like eight centimeters by six centimeters, very famous. And it actually corroborates some of the things that you see in the scripture. Uh, this is written in the old Akkadian on a clay tablet. This thing is you know 2,600 years old. It basically says in the seventh year of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, the, the king took his army, he invaded, he besieged what they called the city of Judah which we know as Jerusalem, conquered the city, took the king uh, Jeconiah into exile, installed another king, Zedekiah, in his place, uh, and they received tribute from Zedekiah and returned to Babylon. That's the beginning of those waves of attack. And eventually, Zedekiah would rebel against uh, Babylon, and that's when things got worse and worse and worse, and they built that wall around the city to trap the people, Starve the people, invade the land, kill the people, and bring them into exile. And you see this. You want to do a little Bible study. You can read Second Kings chapter twenty-four, chapter twenty-five, Second Chronicles, same thing, verse thirty, uh, uh, chapter thirty-six. Jeremiah the prophet refers to it. Ezekiel the prophet refers to it. It's a massive catastrophe, and this is the context uh, for Daniel chapter one. Okay, and you can, it's really, really easy to read straightforward uh, uh, narrative. Um, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Even that verse is, is attacked by scholars. They say he's got the king wrong, he's got the date wrong, he's got this wrong, he's got that wrong. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in, uh, and put in the treasure of the house of his God. So they took the articles, the sacred articles, the valuable articles from the temple itself, looted it, brought it back to Babylon. As you can tell, I'm going to address the book as it's written. I'm not going to deal with all of the challenges and all of the scholars ripping this book apart as if it's not true. I'm going to teach it as it's presented in the scripture. It would take a year to deal with all of the attacks that people have on this book. I'm not going to bother with that on Sunday morning, okay? Verse three, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. You follow so far. Really straightforward, really easy to read at the beginning. I wish the whole book were this easy. Among those who were chosen were some from the tribe of Judah. Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he calls Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. See, you know the Babylonian names more than the Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and... You see, you know, the, you know the Babylonian names. To Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah... Abednego, but Daniel reserved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any of the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Boy, it sounds like quite the king. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were given to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set up by the king uh, to to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered into the king's service and he found them 10 times better then all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You're talking 605 BC to 539 BC. That's when Cyrus is mentioned. That's chapter one. There are several important things that we can observe here that I want to go through very quickly. These captives who were brought into Babylon, they kept one vital thing. Now, again, trying to understand what this feels like, what is is an invasion and this siege upon you. I mean, just imagine, folks, that everything you know, all of your familiarity, all of your regularity in life, all your sense of protection and calmness, and your friends, your family, your vocation, your relationships with people, all of it is all up in the air, folks. It's danger, danger all the time. You can't rest, you're, you're, you're attacked, 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 invaded, besieged, starved, many of your family killed, and you are taken hundreds of miles away into a land and culture and religion and worldview that you don't understand, that you don't even agree with, and your gifts and talents and abilities are being exploited to serve this new king. It's 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 quite a staggering thing when you think about how that would have felt to these people. As I said, we don't we don't really learn our history from history. You know you can You can, people across the ages can read this chapter and relate to it. I wonder how the Ukrainian people would read this chapter. I wonder how they would feel when they read this. Now, the beginning of the chapter says it's the Lord who did this. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim at that time, the king of Judah, into his hand. In this particular case, You need to look at this story with a bit of an asterisk because this is God's judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem. If you read the prophets, you will see he warned them and warned them and warned them that this was going to happen if they continued to disobey him, if they continued in the pagan practices of all the cultures around them, if they were into idolatry and all of these other things that they were doing. God warned them and warned them and warned them and he said, you're my chosen people. You're supposed to bring the light to the world and you are behaving in this way. Consequences will come, consequences will come. They did not listen, they did not listen, they did not listen and the Babylonians come in. Uh, I'm not suggesting that invasions and things that feel the same are the result of God bringing judgment, okay? You have no authority to say that but in this particular case, it was. But the feeling of being invaded, besieged, and exiled, people can relate to throughout history, can't they? How would the Ukrainian people read this, I wonder? How would indigenous people read this? How would a survivor of the residential school system read this? They were plucked out of their culture. Their heads were shaved. Their names were changed. They were indoctrinated into Christianity, folks. That's done in the name of Christianity, that thing. And, you know, whatever your position is on this, when there are unmarked graves and when there are children in those unmarked graves, something very dark has been hidden. And I wonder what survivors of that system would feel if they read this chapter. They'd probably say, wow. I know what they were feeling, because I felt the same way. Everything was taken away from me. I wonder, folks, just as an aside, it's it's one of the strangest, twisted ironies of history that you have that thing take place. And it's done in the name of this book. This book contains a story in the book of Daniel of the same types of maneuvers, folks. Strange, twisted irony. We don't seem to learn from history. The feeling of being invaded and being exiled and being all of these things that happened to these people was powerful and uh, disturbing and life-changing. I want to show you a video from uh, our missionaries in Haiti, uh, the Charbonneaux, this was played at our district conference a couple of weeks ago. Port-au-Prince, as you know, is, is in a very bad situation right now. And uh, I want to just play this for you. we get it ready on the stream, Omar? It'll work, yes? Okay, I want to play this video for you. A little hard to hear. This is shot right from his phone in Port-au-Prince. You're going to hear a lot of background. But just to get the feeling, because even them, what they're going through, it feels a little bit similar. All your life is all up in the air, okay? Here's a little clip from Michelle.
1: Hello everyone, this is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you today. Thank you very much for the that, uh, chance that we have to share with you this morning about uh, our time in Haiti. Well, good news, uh, the school is doing well. We have a group of 50 workers who are faithful and with uh, 700 students. And uh, the success is there, we are happy. And uh, we have uh, security at school. Uh, church, church. We have the adult. It's uh, lower since probably six months due to the insecurity. People are afraid to walk in the morning to come to church. It's uh, it's dangerous to receive a bullet, and uh, so they they walk as. Uh, as uh, less that they can, they are not outside their house they stay in for security. Sunday school, children are coming in a good number. We have uh, almost 800 now on Sunday morning. 75 people are in our staff. And uh, we are from uh, two years old to 17 years old for the Sunday school. And we thank God that young people uh, are giving their hand to Christ. We will have a water baptism in the Pentecostal uh, uh, day, on the, that Sunday, and we thank God for that. Uh, the family is doing well, we are tired to be inside, uh, there's no really a restaurant open, there's nothing socially, so it's home, school, school, home, home, church, church, home. And uh, so we, we cannot see friends outside, we cannot relax. Uh, Insecurity, well, as you can uh, see, there's a lot of gang in the city, and uh, they control a big uh, part of the city, a large part in the city. Where we are, it's a little bit quiet. Uh, This morning, uh, 4 o'clock, just in the back of our house, we had a gunshot, and uh, just uh, 100 yards from our window. So it's a little bit scary, but uh, we are here, and we are happy to be here so they uh, they killed a lot of uh, thieves recently a lot of uh, gang members probably 140 150 of them and it's uh, sad that those people die without the lord and we we are uh, we lost some uh, help at church we have one of our uh, helper who lost his life he received five blood and he died he was one of my Uh, team uh, leader and uh, we are staff and we thank God for the salvation so please pray for our salvation pray for the everyday that the Lord will protect us pray that the Lord will uh, guide us and uh, pray for uh, the school the church and the the country God bless you and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you thank you very much have a good conference
0: So I don't know if you caught some of that, but uh, they, they had a one of their staff was killed, shot five times. Um, you know, as he was saying, it's people stay in school, home, church, home. Nothing's open. You can't see friends. Afraid all the time. Worried all the time. They've people have have attacked some of these gang members, and there's about 140, 150 of them who've been killed, kind of vigilante style. It's extremely dangerous. But that sense where everything that you know has just been ripped out from under you, it's, it's something that people feel even today. You, the, the one thing that these young men who we focus on in, in Daniel 1 didn't lose, the one thing that they kept I mean, you could argue, well, they kept their looks, otherwise the king wouldn't want them. They kept their brains, the king wouldn't want them. They had their abilities and their talents and their gifts. They were the cream of the crop, the the the, the best of the best young men. And he wanted to take them and exploit them and use them for his own gain, his own benefit in his own kingdom, in his own palace. So maybe you could argue that they kept all those things, but all those things are temporary. The, the one thing that you see that these boys did not give up and did not lose was their faith. It was their faith. They took it all the way to Babylon, and it's really interesting that they did not fight back or resist when their names were changed. You've got Hebrew names that have connotations about God and so on, and it changed their names re-educate them, indoctrinate them. They didn't object to a change of names. You don't see them resisting. You don't see them rebelling. You don't see them plotting an assassination attempt or something on Nebuchadnezzar. They, their names were changed. They don't seem to fight it. They learn the language and literature of the Babylonians. Folks, that's not a Hebrew worldview that they're learning. They're learning stuff that would be counter to what they understand about the world, what they understand about their god. And they learn that, the language and literature. uh, Just uh, from one of the commentaries I found, according to the uh, Sumerian and Babylonian view, there were two classes of persons inhabited uh, inhabited the universe and the human race. So so you have the human race, and you have the gods. This is their worldview. So preeminence belonged, of course, to the gods, though not all the gods were equal. At the lower end of the divine scale came a host of minor deities and demons, while a trinity of sorts of great gods, Anu, Enlil, and Ea, stood at their head. And a lot of these gods had things to do with nature. They're learning about magic. They're learning about sorcery. They're learning about charms and astrology and all of these things that were banned by their view. The Hebrew worldview, the view that they got out of what we call the Old Testament or just the law, the first five books of Moses, banned all of these things. And they are learning these things apparently without resisting. They learn it. Doesn't mean they believed it, but they certainly did learn it. But what's the one thing that they resisted in all of this? Curious. The food and the wine. Now you'd think that these young men would be hungry. You know, most young men are hungry. How many of you, you got, you know, young boys, teenagers in your house? I know one, she's got five. They're, they're hungry, aren't they? I know another one. He's got four. They're hungry. You need a, like a second mortgage to, to feed those boys, right? And you would think that they would eat this food. You know, this is, this is good stuff. This is from Nebuchadnezzar. This is choice, food, and wine. This is good stuff. No. They, it says they resolved not to. Verse 8, Daniel, and it's implied that he's speaking on behalf of his friends, resolved not to. I don't want this food. I don't want this wine. Now, it would be easy to say, well, it's because the food wasn't kosher, so to speak. It's not following the dietary laws of Moses. Okay, granted, but all the food in Babylon, wouldn't, wouldn't be, they wouldn't be able to eat any of it if, if you go by that logic. And why the wine as well? There's no ban in, in Moses about wine. So why the wine as well? And uh, what some scholars lean to, and I think there's some truth to this, is that the implication of Daniel and his friends eating this food would, would be that they were almost like friends with the king. It would be almost a sense of fellowship, almost a sense of covenant to eat his food. And so they're like, no, we're not going to eat his food. We don't care how royal it is. We're not going to eat it. And they refuse to do that. And it's curious that how they go about this. They, they go to the chief official who's, who's over them, and they say, we don't want to eat this food. And God gets involved in it. It says God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. And then the official says, yeah, but I'm afraid of the king. Because if you don't eat this food, there's going to be an obvious difference between you and everybody else. Because this food is so good, it's going to make you good looking. And and even though you're good looking now, if you don't eat this food, Everybody else is going to be better looking than you. It's going to be obvious that you haven't eaten the king's food. He's going to be very upset with me, and he's going to execute me. Again, it was more than food is the, the, the idea. It was a kind of a entering into almost like a covenant or a fellowship or an, an, a relationship with the king, and they wanted no part of this. And so they say, well, let's do a little science test then. Give us what comes out of the ground. Give us vegetables and water, and let's do a little science test. After 10 days, look at us and look at them, and you do what you want with that. So it's quite very, very bold, but you can see right off the bat, these boys took their faith into Babylon, and they would not compromise it. They would not give it up. They would not change it. You They learned the language in the Babylonian uh, literature, the Babylonians fine. they They didn't resist when their names were changed. Fine. But they are not going any further on this particular issue. They're putting their foot down, and you see God comes in and kind of intervenes. And you see at the end of the ten days, who looks better? The Hebrew boys. They passed the test. Their science worked. Now, I've heard all kinds of stuff about this Daniel business today in the 21st century. There's books written about this, the Daniel fast, the Daniel diet, all of this stuff. Folks, go ahead and try it if you want to try it. But I don't think the intent of this passage is for us to develop 21st century dieting habits based on one verse from the Old Testament. But there's been several books written up on it. Maybe some of you have tried this Daniel fast thing, maybe it works for you, God bless you if it does, (laughs) but I don't know if that's the point. The point is, he's saying, no, I am not going to eat this food, we are not going to eat it, you give us what comes out of the ground, would you just fine? And they were just fine. Amazing. They take their faith into Babylon, and by all appearances, they are not giving it up, and they are not compromising their faith. You say, well, they, should have, they shouldn't have learned the Babylonian language and literature. They shouldn't have accepted a change of their names. Well, they did. They did. They didn't, didn't seem like a hill to die on for them. But this thing with the food, that is. And they're not going to do it because their faith is telling them no. And they obeyed their faith. Wow. Those are some courageous young men. Very courageous foreign place, it may as well have been another planet. Alone, except with each other and other exiles, but their whole way of life, everything just got thrown up in the air, but their faith stayed. They stuck it out, and they held on to their faith. And you see, God is in the picture here in three places in this chapter. Number one, this is God's sovereign doing This particular invasion, this particular event is actually God's sovereign doing with years and years of warning, yes. But it is definitely his hand which enables this event to happen. And again, I'm not saying that other kinds of invasions, things that we see in the modern era are the same thing, or the same reason. But it was here. So you see God is in control Right from the very beginning of the book, uh, verse 9, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel and his friends. See, God is involved weaving his way in this story. And verse 17, God gave these four boys knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, And Daniel in particular, much like Joseph, who we see in the book of Genesis, he can understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And you'll see him interpret them and uh, the things that he sees and experiences in the book later on. So you see God is in this this whole scene. So these captives, they bring in their faith. They refuse to uh, accept this royal food and wine. And God honors them, and God is with them. So, just some basic lessons for us from Daniel chapter 1. Uh, firstly, have you ever been exiled to Babylon? You say, well, no, I've never even been to Jerusalem, much less Babylon. I'm not talking about in an actual literal geographical sense per se, but that sense that everything in your life just got upended. And in your case, for no fault of your own. I mean, yes, this whole thing was predicted. And yes, God warned the people. But Daniel and his friends are young. They weren't involved in all of these things that all these ungodly kings did and all these ungodly people did and the, their forefathers and so on. And then finally, it comes down to this point where the Babylonians come in. They're young boys. Maybe they're teenagers at best. I mean, they're, they're probably not old enough to fight. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want to use them in the army. He wants their brains. He wants their intelligence. He wants their acumen. He wants the, the, the top of the class. He wants the honor roll students. These are young people. So they're probably saying, what did we do to deserve this? We didn't do anything to deserve this. And here we are stuck in Babylon. Here we are thrown. Our lives are just thrown up into the air. Has that ever happened to you? You ever had your life thrown up into the air and you can't rely on anything anymore? All your friends, all the familiarity of your life has just been thrown out the window. Everything changed. It was no fault of your own. Everything just changed totally beyond your control. You're in an alien place, in an alien kind of atmosphere, and you feel like you're a total fish out of water. You feel like you don't belong. You feel, it's all these emotions that you go through when you're in exile. You ever had someone exploit you, take your gifts and talents and try and exploit them and use them for their own benefit? You ever had your name changed in that sense? So we can relate to the experience and the emotion that these people would have felt and you don't even have to have a literal invasion take place for that to happen. All of us, we have those Babylon exile seasons in our lives. What do you do to cope with that? Well, I mean, firstly, and obviously, the, 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 they kept their faith, these boys. And that's what you have to do. You have to hold on to the things that you believe no matter where you are no matter what what sense of emotional conflict you're having no matter it's like a it's like a tray of cookies and they're thrown up in the air and they're just hanging there and that's your life well is your faith still there do you still have your faith is your faith still sustain you well it did with these boys they were able to hold it they were able to stick it out and they behaved in accordance with what they believed so You've got to hold on to your faith when you're in Babylon. But look at what these boys did. This is one of the most fascinating parts of the story is that they learned a worldview, a language, a system, a religion, a philosophy, a way of life that they were opposed to. Their religion would have been opposed to just about everything that they were learning at Babylon high. And yet they still learned it and did not compromise their faith. So they were able to engage in an ungodly culture and not be overcome by that ungodly culture. At the end of the chapter, the king looks at them and says, they're 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in my whole kingdom. They're smarter than everybody. Their acumen, their intelligence, their reasoning, their wisdom is higher than everybody else, and they're not even from here. God enabled these young boys by the power of His Spirit, and we'll talk about that next week. It's Pentecost Sunday. He enabled these boys to be, as Jesus said, in the world but not of it. Huge lesson for the church today, for the Christian today. You can be in Babylon, but not agree with Babylon. You can learn all about Babylon. You can learn all about the, the, the culture around you and the religious view around you and the secularism around you and the post-modernism around you. You can learn all about that, folk. You don't need to be afraid of it if your faith stays strong. And they did this and still didn't compromise. They became experts in a worldview and in, a, in a, a language and in a culture that they were opposed to, and yet they were experts in it. The king recognizes their expertise, so they learned it, they understood it, they digested it, they didn't believe it, but they understood it, and that is the call of the modern Christian today. You can't bury your head in the sand, folks, and be an effective witness for Jesus. You can't. Now, there's a time maybe where you do have to bury it in the sand. Because maybe your faith is too weak to get out there and and be in the culture and not be influenced by the culture. I get that. But the maturing disciple gets to a point where they can be out there in the darkness and their light shines. And this is exactly what we will see in the book. You're going to see Daniel rise in authority and position and power because he stayed in the culture But was not overcome by the culture. It's an amazing lesson for us. And parents, I know you got to navigate with your young people, what you expose them to and what you don't expose them to, and all of that stuff. I've been through that. We've been through that with our own daughter. But let me tell you, folks, they're learning and seeing things that you don't even know. You'd be shocked at some of the things that they see and look at and listen to. You would be shocked as parents. You can't hide them from it forever, folks. You're going to have to let them see it and teach them to discern, to be in the world, but not of the world. To be, You can become an expert in all of these things around and not agree with it. You can, folks. And you know, big issue. Like, You need to learn LGBTQ. You need to learn what all of that is. You need to learn how these people think. You need to understand what they think and what they feel if you are going to share your faith with them. Without condemnation, folks, you need to understand their position. It doesn't mean that you agree with it. It doesn't mean that you compromise. It means you understand. You understand the world that you are living in and the worldview that people have. It's not going to overcome you if you hold fast to your faith. And this example from these young men, boys, really probably adolescents, what powerful faith they had. Where did they learn how to do this? Some say the the other prophets influenced them, Jeremiah and so on, and Ezekiel, who would have been contemporaries at the same time, influenced them. Some say they had such a grip on the law of Moses that they could step into Babylon and still not be overcome by Babylon. But it is an amazing lesson for the church. And I know everything is so uncomfortable these days. You know, you can't talk about this and you can't talk about this and woke this and woke that. Folks, learn to engage. Learn to engage your non-Christian friend and neighbor and schoolmate and and, uh, teammate. Learn to engage. Learn to understand. Become an expert in what they understand and think. And you will win their respect so that you can dialogue with them about the King of Kings about Jesus. He said, in the world, but not of the world. And finally, if you honor God in resolve, he will be with you. I love this little passage. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made a distinct decision. He resolved it. It's a resolution. It's It's a choice, a firm choice that he makes. I will not do this thing here. I'm putting my foot down. I resolve not to. And right away, you see God working. God is with him. God is on his side. And with these Hebrew boys' side, wait till you see what they have to endure in the upcoming chapters. It's a life or death situation that they have to endure, and you see, God will march into the flames with them. You see, God will be with them because they are choosing, resolving to honor him. And there comes a point in your faith where you're going to have to take a stand, where you're going to have to say what side you are on. Yes you do so with gentleness and respect yes you do these boys did but they made their position clear and they were it was very obvious to everyone what side of the line they were on you're going to see people conspire against daniel because of the side that he was on they know it very well and so they're going to conspire to have him killed because they know what side he's on and we live in a time now folks where you're going to have to put your cards on the table as a christ follower you're going to have to Do you do it with gentleness and respect? Absolutely. Do you become an expert and understand the culture around you? Absolutely. Do you engage with your non-Christian friends who have all kinds of crazy ideas and lifestyles? Absolutely. But you put your cards on the table at the same time, and you say, this is the side that I'm on, and this is the resolution that I make before my God come what may. And when you do that, you're showing maturity. As a Christ follower, and this is what God calls you to. He calls you to maturity. Honor God in resolve, and God will be with you. You can learn an ungodly worldview and not compromise. And even when you are in Babylon, you can hold on to your faith. Would you stand with me and uh, Simon, and whatever band members you're in the room, you want to come and play? just wind up the service. Father, I pray for each person who's in the room here. I pray for those, uh, our online audience. Lord, I I think of our our children who are out in the hall and in screen 11 right now. I think of the the young people in this room, young men in this room, young women in this room. And uh, Lord, what a time we live in today. What challenges we face today. And even 2500 26 years ago maybe it wasn't all that different and so i pray god that you would you would capture people's hearts and you would fill us afresh with the power of the spirit of god if these young people could do it so many uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago in even maybe worse circumstances surely we can do it today on the other side of the cross and with the power and presence of the spirit and with with uh, uh, in a new covenant, God, surely we can stand for you and yet surely we can love our neighbor at the same time, God. Surely we can be in this world and not of this world. Surely we can have faith even in those moments of Babylon. I pray you would fill us and enable us here, even in the province of Quebec, with its own particular nuances and own particular challenges that you would use us to be salt, and to be light in the darkness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your kids over there in screen number 11. Enjoy your Fête des Patriotes tomorrow if you have the day off. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone.
2: you are victorious you are the only king forever almighty god we lift you higher you are the only king forever oh my lord you are victorious from age to age you reign your kingdom has no end we lift our banner high we lift the name of jesus from age to age you reign your kingdom has no end you are the only king forever almighty god we live